Hello, and welcome to my podcast. I am Jay Sevilla Smith. I host unscripted conversations with contemporary photographers, curators, and critics to discuss concept development and the photo bookmaking process. I utilize my trademarked framework, Concept Aware, to investigate how each artist sees and how their creative practice is layered. By identifying these layers, we learn the choices and decisions that move the artist's abstract idea into a tangible object. Thank you for joining our exploration. You can find an archive of over 70 episodes on my website, jsibillasmith.com. There you will also find specifics on how to work together and examples of my experiences as an independent curator, educator, and consultant. Please connect on other social media platforms where you will find me under J. Sibylla. I use all these methods to engage in a global visual culture conversation. Today, I drop into the studio of Montana-based photographer and professor Todd Forsgren to talk creative process and bookmaking. He thinks in books, and it shows. It was obvious from my first encounter with just one of his seven books that his concept development was sophisticated and playful. He's able to warp time and bend ideas. You actually feel like you went somewhere, though you haven't left your seat. So join me now and let's begin. So I want to welcome you. Todd, you and I met at SPE, and it was at the desk that you had uh, where you were featuring books, I think, with um, Michael Meyer. Is that correct? Yeah, Michael Meyer's books were there, and Anna, and um, Billy Mandel, who's a mm-hmm. friend of yours, and um, uh, a range of other friends, as well as some books that I produced through the gallery that um, I and catalogs at Rocky Mountain College here in Montana. Got you. Um, well, it was interesting because I know um, after reviewing, I stopped at your table, I picked up and purchased one of your books, and it was in our conversation, and I got this sense of your conceptual development when I was like, okay, we have to talk. <laughs> like We have to talk live on an artist talk because you're just... Um, you know, expansive is an understatement, but what I think is so much fun is how you kind of put things together. Um, I came up with this. I was I was beginning with the book that I bought, which is, um, I'm going to give you the full title. It's The Discovering Perryland, a Photographic Survey of Northern Greenland. And as I wove my way through the three parts of this book, which are fascinating, and what really stopped me to want to talk to you and and get into how you conceptualize like this. Um, you are a fellow uh, journeyer in rabbit holes, I can tell. That is true. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, totally met a, a compadre there. But what I was, it was so funny, uh, as just I was reading it and like looking and thinking, I said that you were kind of like an explorer detective writer who meets an archaeologist who's interested in ecology. That sounds fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I thought we'd start with this book um, because it leads us into a bit of how you see. Like my concept development framework is all about how you see and helping artists get a handle on what's often unconscious uh, and is really helpful when you can get a handle on it. Uh, two things happen. You become empowered to actually go into that way of seeing, but you're also able to articulate it, which really lends the viewer an ability to to join along with you in the work. So you're well-traveled, but I have to figure out what and how got you to Greenland basically via a computer. Yeah. So, I mean, I had been traveling quite a lot throughout my uh, my 20s and early 30s, you know, living in um, Mongolia and Puerto Rico and Cuba and going to graduate school in the Czech Republic um, uh, and 
so uh, and making photographs all over the place, basically, and you know, working on uh, a big series of photos that um, uh, had taken up a lot of my creative effort um, through that time. Well, two big series: one photographing urban and community gardens around the world, and another um, that uh, is photographing a very specific moment of bird research and. Um, uh, you know, I just finished up that those ornithological photos, the, the photos about bird research, and published a book on those. And um, also had just become a father, and uh, and so um, my ability to you know disappear into the rainforest um, for a couple of months at a time suddenly um, wasn't there. And so I, you know, at that fulcrum point in my life, I started thinking about how I could you know create and change my creative practice as my life was changing. And so, you know, I found myself as I was, you know, rocking my daughter to sleep, just sort of like looking at places to travel to. And, um, you know, there was a lot in the news about the Arctic, obviously, and then climate change. And so I, I was just uh, uh, sort of exploring uh, via um, Google Earth uh, and and landed on Perryland. And um, what I saw there was was totally bizarre. I mean, it's like this strange, you know, one of the most remote parts on Earth, uh, places on Earth. It's an Arctic desert. Um, uh, nobody lives there full time, um, you know, far, far northern tip of Greenland. Uh, and um, just it, the landscape from above looked like some strange sort of technicolor dreamscape, not what you think of as a super mm. desert Arctic landscape. And I was like, what is going on here? Um, and so I did some research, talked to a friend who's a, you know, a imaging engineer. And, uh, we looked at these images and tried to figure out what was happening. And, um, gosh, he had some technical thing about how the JPEG compression dropped out the something, 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 uh, that I forget at this point and probably should remember. I think it's written down in the book, but it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, that was then stretched and smeared based on, uh, correction for polar projections and uh, elevation data. And so it's this strange, wavy, technicolor dreamscape. And so, um, you know, that was sort of the starting point of this this journey to try to understand, um, uh, well, wilderness. And, and I was, you know, you know it's actually part of a, a, a couple of other book projects, I, one of which I've finished and another one that I hope to finish this summer uh, that are like sort of attacking this idea of how can we photograph and think about wilderness from uh, different angles and, and mm. does wilderness still exist um, and and things like that. Um, and so I just, you know, I started doing research on Perry land and um, uh, trying to find more images of it and um, uh, remembered that, you know, Admiral Perry, who it's named after, actually happened to go to the same college I went to, Bowdoin College up in Maine. Um, uh. and uh, And so I, you know, First, I wrote the, the director of our, our Arctic Studies program there and, and said, hey, I'm an old alumni and I'm really interested in Admiral Perry. And, um, and she, she mentioned to me that now the archive is, is at the National Archives in D.C., mm. happened to be living in D.C. at the time. And so I just headed over to the National Archives and, and um, found a whole bunch of his unpublished photographs. And um, he's you know, an interesting character, an ambitious Arctic explorer. Um, you know, uh, and you know, not a great cartographer, but um, mm. the pictures were fascinating. They were all, you know, they're made with egg whites. And so a lot of them were sort of falling apart and, and you could see his fingerprint on some of them. And, you know, uh, um, a, a very ambitious explorer, but a, a very amateur photographer. And, and uh, so I just found myself, I scanned or actually photographed all of those photographs and, and just spent a lot of time looking through those and trying to understand his journey and create you know, another photo sequence of that. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, I wanted to, um, you know, find some uh, some contemporary sources. And so, um, you know, not a whole lot of them exist because it is so remote. Um, and so I found myself on Flickr and um, uh, finding um, images that were tagged in Perryland with geotags. And um, many of them are clearly not, from the land at all, but from, you know, who knows where. Some of them you can sort of understand what the person was thinking. It's like a picture of Santa Claus or something like that. Other times it was just like, why is this picture of a rose here in Perryland? And 
Um, but I've, you know, I've thought of them as other sort of virtual explorers that are trying to understand the earth. And so um, felt like they were kindred spirits. And so um, essentially, you know, even this day and age where we think of, you know, every square inch of the earth has been, or at least the land surface of the earth has been measured and quantified, um, these remote corners are still so, so unknown. And, and so, you know, trying to understand it through these three very um, corrupted sources, um, be it the, the JPEG compression decomposition and color projections or the fakely geotagged images or these crumbling album and prints that, um, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was fascinating to me. Uh, yeah, it's so much fun. I thought to kind of go through I mean, you're taking us on a journey and you're, um, it's intriguing and kind of confusing, um, especially, so the beginning, when you start with part one, you're starting with the Perry Prince, his own. Um, and what I thought was really interesting there, I mean, they just landed beautifully on the page. Did you have any issues photographing them, having access to them, republish or publishing them as you said, they'd been unpublished? Yeah, they were all unpublished. I mean, they're all in public domain. Um, so um, I didn't have to necessarily worry about that with those. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, no, they're, they're like, I wasn't allowed to scan them because, you know, they're wavy and, and worried that the print would crack or, or it would damage them further. But oh. there was no problem um, taking pictures of them. And just, uh, you know, sometimes it was a little difficult to reduce glare from lighting and and create a, you know a flat image but in general um i think you know one of the things i i love about working in archives and, and i've done that a couple of times is that um archivists are are so excited that somebody is interested in stuff and so they're mm -hmm. always so helpful and you know somebody at national archives helped me like track down the image list and that was all like covered in mold and incomplete so it was really hard to like figure out like what image goes with what caption and uh, you know archives are all a mess but a beautiful mess uh, <laughs> as you said it's like being a detective uh, going through them and trying to figure out and piece together somebody's life like admiral perry's yeah i mean you i think you put in 24 in here and it's it's really a slice of all of it because it you know you've got the um, you capture the iceberg like i love this one on page 11 iceberg and new ice it's just, it's a beautiful, like, uh, you know, the, that's a beautiful photograph. Um, and then I was really intrigued and I forget because I know some about the history because I did another book that was actually on Greenland, but there's a woman in this shot. That is his wife standing next to an extremely phallic rock. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I mean, she's even hard to... Because uh, I mean, like her face is hardly um, visible. So I did know she went exploring with him. She didn't make it all the way up to Perryland, but she went. She started as the journeys with him, and um, you know, there she's pictured in like her her Sunday finest at the edge of the world, and you know, this big sun hat and this big dress, and um, it's uh, you know, it it definitely. I mean, given the amazing hardship of Arctic exploration. And, you know, it really is an interesting window into um, gender and Arctic exploration. To see Absolutely. And it was interesting to me. I, I actually know someone who recently did dog sledding in Greenland. Uh, yeah. Um, which is obviously very different now. Um, however, I was thinking too of some of your artistic choices. Like I love... Um, I love the texture of this book and how it's kind of um, uh, like a cardstock beginning and you go into the like the blueness that you um, surround Greenland with it really gives it that kind of otherworldly looking at it from space. But then you go into this beautiful green and I wondered, was there something that was going on in the prints and what you were picking up that made you choose that? Yeah, that's essentially the color that a lot of these prints had, had sort of broken down into. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, and each of the paper stock is a little bit different for each of the three sections. And so it's, you know, that one's a really sort of like matte, uncoated kind of feel. Mm -hmm. um, 
try to emulate the feel of those original images as much as possible, essentially. Um, I think it does really well. Like I even like just how some of the inscriptions are still on the side, like, you know, in pencil. And I love this one. Um, yeah on 27 where it's often is peeling up and it's really <laughs> I mean it really gives you a feel for the patina let's say of that particular print um but I also appreciate that you chose to put a few of them like that on black giving them their own contrast there yeah and that actually was um not so much my choice as the choice of of what the, the prints were mounted on so um some of them were mounted on, on white and some of them were mounted on black oh okay okay that's interesting um and did you so when you're sequencing something like that i know he had made hundreds of photographs or you know 100 plus um was that a challenge or did you kind of know when you knew? Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, you kind of know when you know and, and <laughs> create some flow. You know, it's interesting, sort of the the Ornithological Photographs book, um, you know, those prints are in taxonomic order. So they're like the scientific order that that, um, that birds, you know, based on relatedness are, are, are described by ornithologists. And so um, I like took all the choice of sequencing out of that work. And, and so I think that um, coming off of that project, um, I was really relishing trying to create sequences. And I just, um, just finished another book of like sort of my, um, a year before that of, of sort of all of my snapshots over the past um, 20, the previous 15 years mm -hmm. uh, from when I started taking photography seriously till uh, 2014. And so that was, uh, you know, like, a, a, um, you know, that like going through hundreds of thousands of photographs that had taken 15 years was, um, you know, really helped me with thinking about sequence and series and you know yeah interesting and i like that you're bringing up the idea that how it matters like for for this one especially i felt like you gave us a flavor um and it was your own narrative so that's kind of fun in, in owning that um but i also like when you talk about taking the choice out of sequencing you know like it the idea that the project and the concept dictates how you deal with particular choices. Um, yeah. I mean, and even like the the landscapes from above from Google Earth, I, I picked points at random. I tried not to aestheticize those. And so that's like, uh, again, taking taking the power away from um, the viewer and just kind of, or the, the creator and seeing what happens or from coming up with, you know, a set of rules. Um, and so each was a very different, each of these three parts is a very different photographic approach to appropriation. Well, yeah. Well, it's really interesting is, um, hang on, I'm taking a note because you're making me think of too many things. It's at the same time. <laughs> um, but the idea, say it again. I'm going to quiet down my puppy. It seems like he's barking at somebody outside and I don't want it to. Um... Thanks. I don't even hear Opal at the moment, but go ahead. Okay. You want to grab her? Yeah. Here's the smiley little guy. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so what I liked about what you were saying is that you create this set of rules, which in my concept aware head uh, framework, I like thinking about it as parameters and how those can um, really open up so many possibilities, but it's being aware of them. And what I love is your ability to be flexible, like to understand when you're using them and for what reason. And that idea, like that is a surprise to me that your Google Earth images are random. Because so these abstractions, this is what I mean. Like you turn the page and you're like, 
wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) And, and they're beautiful. They're confusing. They're so vibrant. Um, and that's so interesting that you just decided to be random. Yeah. I mean, it was all so beautiful that I just felt I'm bewildered by trying to make choices about it. And, um, you know, trying, you know, doing that sudden jerk to the viewer where you go from this sort of very like classic idea of what a photo sequence is in these very, you know, like pre-modern pictorial photographs of the first of the, you know, the, the of Perry's images to like suddenly like, where am I abstract expressionism? And, <laughs> um, but actually, you know, it's, you know, a bit like, you know, Thomas Roof's um, JPEG series, you know, it's, it's, not at all, uh, or, or his, um, well, a bunch of his series. I forget what the other other sequence is called. Um, um, you know, it's it's algorithms gone amok, essentially. Mm-hmm. The aesthetic, as opposed to an artist throwing paint at a, a canvas or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I'm researching on AI at the moment, so it it smacks to that too of like some other force having their way with things um, and how we see. Um, And I was just looking, so you don't number the pages in that section, you go like full bleed. Um, Was it hard, like this one, and I can't tell you what page that is, but it's such a full bleed. And um, I guess what I'm asking is you chose randomly, but then you had to select from that random selection. Um, And was that hard? Uh, to narrow it down? Um, I mean, I, I just put them in the order that I, I randomly picked. And so again, it's like, Oh, you took it out. God. I mean, the, the choices I've made were to present the images and to do it randomly uh, and to do it full bleed and to do it on kind of a mystery paper. Um, yeah. But, you know, aside from that, it's, um, it's really cool how the, the white space happened, right? Because sometimes it's 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 there in a way that you would refer to it as background. And then in the this second one, it's almost like a window, right? It's just this little pop. And then the one that I commented on to you, it's it's gone. It's like there's no white in that one. Um so I I really like how that just kept going and being really um, animated. The one way that I, I, you know, thought about making that sequence was to start with one with a lot of white space and then sort of reduce white space to sort of be um, a metaphor for for the ice caps melting. But then that just that seemed a little bit too didactic, and so I, I didn't go with that choice and instead let that you know difference between the color fields and the white fields. Um, you know, express itself in just like positive and negative space. Yeah. Well, what's really funny, um, I kind of like love them individually too. Like when you fold the book in half and um, they're just pleasing color studies. Um, Well, I appreciate you thinking on the metaphor and then deciding against it on some level. Um, It, this did make me think, cause I think, um, when I was reading just at the very beginning about the uh, idea, I mean, I knew that Greenland was um, was so covered in ice, but what I, I don't think what I'd really thought of, um, you talk about it as being um, the world's largest island with an ice sheet that covers 80% of it. Um, so uh, thinking about that, and um, I've had, travels to Iceland more than once, but not Greenland. And I find it really interesting. It feels like a misnomer, right? Like, why didn't you just reverse that? Like there's a glacier in the middle of Iceland, but there's also the Gulf Stream and and other types of of, uh, um, topography. Um, And did you ever find out, because you bring it up, that there's like a mystery even to the, the word used for Greenland in Inuit? language yeah i never quite was able to get to the bottom of that and and but you know that i mean i think that misnomer of naming from from you know 
is also like speaks to this idea of corrupted images and this original sort of corruption of the image that mm -hmm. this this name means and so it, it all sort of braided together so nicely as, as you know that's those um those different mysterious naming aspects um mm -hmm. blended with the you know uh, the contemporary images of it yeah. well and it you're what i thought of too is how much and we can get into this more, but that you use photography as a tool for your own exploration, but you're also very consciously almost mirroring back or reflecting what is photography and this idea of um, what are we seeing and what are the aspects that are corrupting it, like very pure photography can have very corrupted messages, um, purposeful ones, in fact, as well. But this whole idea of um, that you can't quite nail the mystery. Yeah. And that that's a good, a good thing to keep our ear to. So the, the last part that you um, made was when you geotagged from Flickr. And I have to say that, like, like there were times when I just laughed out loud. It was, it was like, it was frankly bonkers. Like there's, like, there's a scene that looks like it's on a Caribbean Island of a couple on a tree. Like, right. yeah. what? Um, what was, you know, was this a, a motivation by the author to place this here? And what was that motivation? Or is it something gone amok with, uh, you know, the geotagging on their camera or the GPS system that's, um, you know, it's like, yeah, like how the hell did these images end up here? And and was there a rationale or is it random? Um, and so, it, yeah, it sort of blends together, I think, in a way, the, the two approaches of the previous um, series. Yeah, it also, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at a cat on a pillow and then this other one that looks like elves as if we're in like toy land with reindeer. Um, and polar bears, which at least, like you said, that at least leans towards the area. But then you get some pieces that almost look like they're like a cathedral in England or or a cake. Uh, there's one of like Big Bend with fireworks around it. Yeah. You know, there's there's one of like a guy making a ridiculous face on an airplane. And like, was he actually flying mm -hmm. over Maryland when that happened? There's a couple of other aerial views where maybe, you know, the plane was going over there and... They didn't have it on airplane mode, and so it, you know, the geo tag persisted. But yeah, it's this. It's, <laughs> yeah, well, what I wondered, you had mentioned your other book, um, taking your snapshots. So, and what was the time relationship to this and that? This was about, uh, yeah, this is about two years after I finished that book, I, I published this book. And um, certainly the approaches I took with the snapshot book was, was very instrumental in how I arranged the images here. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the size of the images is based on their size of the largest download available on Flickr. And so some of them are tiny and some of them are big. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, there was sort of some different rules that I followed. Um, uh, that were a little different from that snapshot book, but the same thing of of like sort of creating these strange little um, photographic arrays that um, uh, create some sort of visual relationship, but um, was at play here for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at. There's a rubber ducky. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and and just full of surprises. So. Tell me, this is one of seven of your books. So besides being a fellow like rabbit hole explorer, you also think in books or seemingly like you're able to um, like capsulate your thoughts through that form. So tell us about your book background. Sure thing. So the first book I made was that. Um, Untitled reiteration. So it was it was a series of of you know these snapshots over the fifteen years from um, 
and um, you know, just like I hate throwing away photographs. I, you know, I don't tell my students like never delete a picture. You never know when that you know you're gonna think at the top this picture is like all blurry and out of focus. But it you could know, be really I good. Think it's really good, um, and uh, and so it was a way to sort of deal with all of the photographic trash that I had made over the about 15 years and, and to like try to make sense of it, try to understand um, just my impulse to look and what I'm looking at and how, you know, how it, what I'm looking at in Mongolia relates to what I'm looking at in Puerto Rico relates to what I'm looking at in Prague, um, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Wandering road that I was on during those years. Um, and then the ornithological photographs that was the that's so far the only book i've worked on with a publisher mm -hmm. uh, and i mean i think that was a really interesting experience because i got to see you know i was really lucky that that work went viral in in some very strange ways mm. uh, and so you know it was published in national geographic uh with a story about the images but it was also published in cosmopolitan with a story about being trapped in in the conspiracy theories of QAnon, um, with Whoa. You know, right next to an article about Shakira, um, and uh, you know the work was also exhibited quite widely, and you know so I you know had this experience of of you know seeing it on museum and gallery walls, seeing mm -hmm. it in um, in popular media. And then also the experience of seeing it in the book and 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 talking to people about these different experiences and um, uh, you know yeah like I, I got hate mail from uh, folks who looked at those images in Cosmopolitan and didn't understand them because there wasn't context included and um, and you know the book was just I mean not to say I don't love having exhibitions or seeing you know walking into Target and seeing us bunch of images uh, you know magazines with Shakira on the cover and knowing that my photos are hiding in there <laughs> um uh those are all fantastic and flattering but I think the depth of the book um and the experience that people had with that depth um was the most rewarding of of those different contexts and mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so that yeah that's sort of what made me start going nuts about making books and <laughs> so chronologically you grappled with your snapshots first yep. what did you call that one untitled reiterations yep okay I was, you know, I was working on that sort of contemporaneously as I was uh, having you know working on the ornithological photographs books it, it just you know I just printed it a little bit before um, mm -hmm photo book and then so it's like sort of like bouncing these very different approaches to image making one all rules and the other no rules um, mm -hmm. and so with the um ornithological was that begun with an assignment from nat geo no it wasn't it was a personal project uh, um i you know i was a bird watcher in um in call in high school and uh, you know, even went to like bird watching camps and competed in bird watching competitions. And wow. uh, you know, I went to a school that didn't really a high school that didn't really have much at the time in the way of arts, um, and had a bit of an aptitude for biology. And so I ended up um at first as an undergraduate studying biology and ecology, um, and then meeting a couple of really uh influential um teachers who um, you know, taking the required art class that just like sort of launched me down this artistic path. Mm -hmm. um, but you know the first things that I thought of as art as a high school student or even before uh, were field guides and so that came out of sort of my love of field guides and trying to think of how um, how to translate you know John James Audubon and Roger Torrey Peterson into images of the way that scientists understand birds today through data and numbers and so um, this specific moment when they've captured these birds in nets um, became a metaphor for that where um, you know the, the bird gets you know like that individual bird becomes numbers and data that then become you know parts of spreadsheets that we can understand the world through mm -hmm. more so that's how that came about so what's really fun there though and that's what i mean about knowing 
I needed to talk to you about how you see is because of those leaps. You know, your metaphoric use is sophisticated. Um, it, 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 I understand why you let go of the other metaphor when you were going to try to look at ice space versus ice melt. Um, I think your metaphoric leaps are much more, um, wanting to get from here to there. There was something I came across. Um, let me see where I, I wrote a note when I was thinking about your work and how you think, um, ah, that you are seeking paradigm shifts. So you're, you're jumping synapses is how I would put it to try to, there's a thread there, but you also have to take a leap of faith. Um, and yeah. And I think, like, I love cramming together perceived opposites as well. Mm. You know, be it um, the analytic potential of photography versus the expressive potential of photography. And those, um, um, you know, both the Perry Land book, particularly the, you know, the, the abstract expressionist look, but knowing that it's actually just, you know, algorithmic, mm -hmm. um, as well as the, the ornithological photos book where, you know, it is about empathizing with these individual birds, but also about understanding the idea of a species so that from individual to population from the analytic potential to photography to the expressive potential of photography to you know uh creating rules and or being free um you know it's like how do we traverse these lines to create paradigm shifts and break down um these imperfect ideas of opposites of you know of thought mm. Mm. You're making me think now that you're kind of like a, um, you're creating light leaks, <laughs> <laughs> right? And kind of exploring what comes up through those, through those light leaks. So in terms of the, um, the path that the ornithological work took, you started as a personal project and then unfurl that development because it is interesting how it got to all these different contexts yeah i mean so it was just a project that i wanted to do and, and so i started it in like 2006 and you know didn't have a big long telephoto lens so instead i was going to photograph birds and nets with a white background with a large format camera and a couple of dyna lights and, um and uh, so I spent a lot of time actually working as an ornithologist in, in Texas and Puerto Rico um, to get the project started. And um, uh, the first context um, I, I showed it in was um, it was selected uh, by Jen Beckman's Hey Hotshot project and then her 20 by 200 project. And um, uh, in 2007 or two, yeah, 2007, in the, in the, at the end of 2007, when it was just a very still a pretty nascent um, uh, you know, series. I only had about seven images that I was happy with. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that was sort of, sort of the first viral moment of that. And um, at the time, you know, the 20 by 200 site was selling out really quickly. And so all of a sudden, like, I made five figures from my photographs when I had never really sold a print before. And that, so that was really exciting. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I had just then got just received a Fulbright fellowship to go and photograph gardens in Mongolia. So I spent all of 2008 doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And then I spent time working as an ornithologist in Puerto Rico in 2009 and, and really developing the technique for that project um, and, you know, um, getting paid to do scientific work and, and realizing it was hard to both be a scientist and an artist at the same time. I didn't, you know, I, I worked there for nine months. So I had plenty of time eventually to, you know, make images, but um but then I, I would just, you know, figure out times when I, uh, especially because this project started making money, um, uh, I would just, you know, figure out times when uh, when I could just disappear into the jungle and hang out with some cool ornithologists in Mexico or Costa Rica or Brazil or California or Maryland or Ohio. Um, sorry, my pup is not cooperating. That's no, okay. <laughs> we we like four leggeds. <laughs> you know? uh, and so I um yeah, I just you know, when whenever I had 
free time down from, you know, uh, whether it was when I was teaching or waiting tables or something like that. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, just have at the end of the semester, at the end of a season, uh, would just spend some time making those pictures. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, and then um, I, you know, I forget, I was ordering a book from Daylight Books and it's like, oh, well, when you, whenever you order a book, you can also submit your work. And so I submitted my work and, um, uh, and then Mike, Mike Itkoff called me the next day and said he was interested in publishing it. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it, it kind of took off from there. Um, you know, I was lucky to, you know, he connected me with the folks from National Geographic and um, uh, lucky that, um, that they are an organization that still actually pays photographers well for their work and so mm -hmm. um you know the money that um that 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 made me was enough to publish the book uh and then some um and um it just sort of took off from there and you know, and saw it and more places wanted to publish it and uh, yeah it was, it was a wild ride and so what you're saying is that the book opened up all these other opportunities for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And because I don't have a copy of that, were there essays that you compiled for it? Yeah, yeah, there is an introduction by my father who is a veterinarian and, um, and you know, was, was the one who introduced me to bird watching. And so, um, and then uh, there are three essays, um, uh, one, two by art historians, John Tyson and Susan Wagner. And then one by a um, a science writer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to try uh, to weave together those different contexts. You know, my father sort of writing about the empathy aspect of it. The science writer giving a background as to you know what this research does and how it's conducted, mm -hmm. and two art historians taking having different art historical takes on the collisions and choices I'm making. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Which I think um, I was struck in our first conversation about how aware you are of the choices you're making, which is really, um, I think, a gift <laughs> um, and certainly makes for what I think are well-conceived projects um, and certainly intriguing ones and informative ones. And, and I think because I, too, appreciate the paradigm shift, you know, I appreciate like it so, so felt in the, in the Perry book that I was on a journey and, and, um, and really unaware of where you were going to go next. Uh, but trusting that it was going to make something connect to something that I would have not thought of connecting. Um, so it's a kind of fun thing. And then when I was looking through, um, some of your other books, I got the biggest kick out of the way in which um, you kind of give us this series of engagements that you used. Um, I think the body of work is the uh, the world is flat, the earth is flat. The world is round, yeah. Oh, wait, okay, duh, the opposite. Okay, the world is round, um, but of course has a flat image on the front. But this idea that you took us, and you don't give it to your viewer, at least in my uh, encounter with it, you don't give it um, I appreciate that some of the ways that you infer the information can be even tongue in cheek or can be something a little um, I wouldn't say confusing, but definitely like um poetic or or fanciful almost but there's also underlying it something very concrete so so what i encountered first was more of the um uh you know looking up at the stars on a you know on a starry night or something but what you end up telling us is that there really is engagement like okay first i'm going to stare you know, then I'm going to dream. And I love how you walked us through that, the wondering, the breaking. And so how'd that happen? Or, I mean, I almost feel like you, 
I think you probably were delighted to find it yourself. It was like, oh, okay. It like grounded your thought process. Like, I don't think you started there. I think you did it and went backwards. I could be wrong, but. No, that's, that's, that's pretty fair. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, again, it's, it's always sort of a reaction to what had come before. And so I've been working on these two very long-term documentary-based photo projects, the ornithological photographs, and then a, a series called Post-Industrial Edens, which is what I was in Mongolia for, mm -hmm. uh, which is the photographs of urban and community gardens around the world. Um, and, um, you know, I, I started in grad school and, and um, in, in the Czech Republic and, um, you know, I was telling you, these are these are like serious projects you're doing you know something really and i just wanted like i wanted to express humor i wanted to have fun i wanted to like you know like like there wasn't any like there was a certain level of thinking that was not happening anymore in those projects because the rules were set and so i wanted to create a series of work where every time i make an image i start with something of a blank slate different materials different and you know photography Photography is so exciting right now because I feel like every year some new technology is being born and some other old technology is dying. And um, so like, how can I use this new technology in a new fun way? And how can I like ring a new image out of, um, of the old stuff? <laughs> um, and so like one series, uh, one, one part of that world is around series, for example, is um, a set of photographs, uh, um, they're silver gelatin prints. And they're um, well, they're of CDs, uh, and so the compact disc is you know like a dying technology, not a photographic technology. Well, I guess we can store images on them, and we did store images on them, um, and um, and so, but there's they're compact discs that are are placed onto a piece of photographic paper uh, and made like photograms, but instead of you know exposing them under an enlarger, I expose them by putting them in a microwave and um, blowing up the CD because of the metals in. Um, <laughs> not yeah. not your basic way of going about it, but okay. Yeah. So you did you go through a lot of microwaves? No, the microwave survived. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <again. laughs> uh, Hopefully, it did not go on to like heat any food after that. But no, uh, I, I retired it from from <laughs> cooking. Um, but it, yeah, it survived. And, and, you know, but it's like these three technologies that are colliding, you know, the microwave, of course, is like something that was futuristic when I, it first came out as was, mm -hmm. you know, like, I remember, you know, my, when my dad got that first compact disc player and, um, you know, silver gelatin prints, you know, they're all, they're all, I mean, microwave still useful, but I mostly use it to heat up butter and mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> um but it's not my preferred way of cooking um <laughs> you know they're all um you know like like, like their promise is sort of fading in a certain way mm. uh, and and so i wanted to reignite that promise quite literally by exploding something uh, uh and you know all of those cds or most of those cds happen to be um mixed cds that were given to me by ex-girlfriends too <laughs> So another way that you were, no pun intended, killing two birds with one stone, right? You were hoofing that a metaphor evidence. Those relationships, yes. <laughs> That's so interesting. I appreciate that. Yeah, so plenty of absurdity, but also plenty of seriousness. So, you know, again, those perceived opposites, you know, mm -hmm. absurdity, um, but taking absurdity really, really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that you're able to, to kind of unpack it for us. I, I really, um, I really appreciated coming across the ways that you broke it down, the measuring, traversing, the drawing, and it's, it, it, it speaks to your scientific side of your brain, um, which is kind of nice. Like, yeah, but maybe a little bit more like the mad scientist side. <laughs> I, I would totally agree. That is very fair. But it's like you're, you know, talk about jumping synapses. You do go from the, um, whether you call it science or art, or you call it this um, uh, 
the taxonomy or classification or hard data to, you know, empathy. Like, so you're, you're constantly putting pretty uh, diverse on purpose elements into a blender. Um, and do you, it's interesting because the Perry book was three and you just mentioned that this between the microwaves, the CD and the silver gelatin prints were three. Um, do you ever put rules around that? Um, I don't know, maybe that's my, you know, my Catholic upbringing coming. <laughs> but the, the world is round. Led by trilogies. Seven chapters in the world is round series. And then I've got a a series about uh, the oceans I'm working on called Full Fathom Five, and there are mm. five chapters of that. But you know, I think that I am, you know, that scientific impulse to categorize and classify is something that um, uh, that stays with me. And so, uh, trying to figure out how I can categorize and classify, be it photography or ecological issues, um, mm -hmm. uh, and relate them to each other. Uh, what's you know the relationship between a photographic object and a scientific specimen is, um, uh, and so yeah, I mean, I think even you know I talked about opposites uh, and the importance of opposites in my work, but I think if you get too into those opposites, um, then uh, you know it's good to have that third, that fourth, that fifth, that sixth, that seventh point to like reverberate around, and so you don't just get into this linear space. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Or a binary. Uh, yeah. Keep it. Keep it. I mean, uh, yeah, it, that brings a lot of animation to it. And it also is what I was trying to get at before that you keep us guessing. And that's a good thing, you know, not to think that you've nailed it into these particular ways of thinking that, that you're like, yeah, there's lots more ways to think or let's mix it up this way. Um, one of the other things I thought of, uh, when I was getting to know your work was how many, um, collaborations you're a part of. So can you just, um, walk us through, I mean, I think there are like four listed. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, um, you know, I, I like people I, that's why I'm a teacher and, uh, and I, people help me think and and mm -hmm. uh, so as you mentioned Mike Meyer and I uh, have a, a project together called Spectacle Box and we we um, haven't necessarily collaborated directly on work together but we we've gone to a bunch of book fairs and and show books together um, and then um, uh, I've got I'm a part of Atlantica Collective which is a group of it started out as mostly photographers but now it's a quite a diverse group of artists um, mm -hmm. really are, around the world at this point um, who are you know, making work about ecological issues. Uh, and then uh, F4.5 Collective is just, you know, a group that uh, I still, I shouldn't say just, they're really important folks who I started talking to during, uh, during COVID and we decided to, we wanted to exhibit work together. Uh, and then uh, the Reinecker Morrison Gallery here at, in, at Rocky Mountain College in, in Montana, um, you know, I've started publishing a different types of books and catalogs from exhibitions um, through that. And uh, so just finished a, a really interesting book project there about um, an oil change company that um, that is um, that a photographer has been documenting because of how forward thinking they are in terms of, of helping their employees move on to the next thing um, and giving mm -hmm. their professional development. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I love you know, I, so I was the editor of, of Tim Keen's book about that. And, and it was, you know, great to, to work in that context and to, um, uh, you know, have an exhibition at the gallery and have all these folks who are um, work as, uh, uh, you know, changing oil come into the show and have a very, you know, have it have images reach a very different context than the typical Billings art community. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, talk about shifting paradigms. Um, you know, for the oil changer to see their livelihood and uh, uh, particular craft um, in an art gallery is also really yeah, good. Right? Absolutely. And even like the shift from, um, you know, Lewis Hines photographs that are, are you know, exposing child labor um, towards 
to this Im series of images, which is more celebrating corporate good. I mean, this company, you know, you hired for three years, they give you extensive professional development. Um, and uh, if you don't get a better job um, after those three years, they keep you on the payroll until you find a better job. I mean, so they're- What? Yeah, yeah. So how did, how did this come together in terms of a project? Oh, the the owner of the company and uh, Tim Keen have been good friends for a long time. Tim was in charge of the um, the entrepreneurship program at uh, Marquette University, and and so he had been inviting Bill, the owner, to to um, workshops for years. And um, when Tim retired, he he's you know he's always been a passionate photographer, but he really wanted to do a long term project, and, and um, so he started working on this. For, he's worked on it for the past year, and we just published that book um, in May. So. Right. And that so that's so interesting between self-publishing and then what you're able to do from the gallery. Um, what are. Um, I'm trying to think of the. Renumeration, for lack of a better term, or how the finances work on something like that, like what's the workflow financially? Um, I mean, it, it really depends project by project, you know, you know, I mentioned that, you know, the bird photographs sort of self-funded and, um, uh, but other times, um, I've just, you know, you know, it's interesting. There are actually three presses in Billings that have like, um, that have Heidelbergs. Um, and so like the driving into the sunset book, I, I, Printed the cover at a local letterpress studio, and then I I had it printed at one of these presses here in Billings, and and then I postponed it myself, and so it was it was um, very affordable process, even though it's this ridiculously large eleven by seventeen book, um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know for Tim's project about Master Lube, this oil change company, um, you know we produced a hundred copies of book that were. Um, uh, that were sort of the deluxe edition. So they're, you know, inset image, linen, hardbound, um, and and sold those quite well. Um, and then we produced, you know, uh, you know, a, a hundred copies, uh, you know, cheaper print on demand, um, something that would, you know, be affordable to the diverse demographic of of people who the, the project was speaking to. And so mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's, you know, but in terms of my own self-publishing, it's sort of a, a long-term investment. You know, I, I, eventually if I sell all these books that are stored in my basement, I'll make some money. But um, uh, until I do, um, you know, I'll just take on a little debt or, or you know, squirrel away a little money for um, mm -hmm. uh, until I've got enough to publish the book. So Yeah. And then I guess my thought is I have two questions. One is. Um, we kind of alluded to it, but do you think in books? Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, just this year I published my first book that doesn't really have many photographs in it. It's mostly writing. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely like, you know, the only way it exists is a book. Um, uh, the other ones, you know, they're, they're, is more flexibility as to like, oh, what does this look like as an exhibition? What does it look like as a book, um, uh, et cetera. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, yeah, I mean, like the, the full Fathom Five project, like the, the, mm -hmm. each of the books, I hope to eventually publish like a set of like five paperback field mm -hmm. guidelines books for that, which each mm -hmm. look at. That, that relationship between photographic specimens and scientific specimens. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that like, yeah, the, the, the images as, you know, objects on a wall are, I hope very realized, be it like cyanotypes of coral that are printed at a one-to-one -one scale of the coral. But then, you know, I hope the books will also have a very different feel. I'm working with the same person who designed my cover for my ontological photographs book on that. And, you know, again like you know different slightly different paper stocks and thicknesses between them to give that feel of a cyanotype or to uh you know of scans of seafood to like have it like you know you know that book will have like a really rich black background with 
you, you know, with white text versus, you know, another book which might have, um, you know, shift that a little bit. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I try to realize these objects in, in manifest different ways, you know, the same mm -hmm. way that, you know, that Tim and I had his book published as both a hardcover version as well as, you know, the affordable version to, you know, you know think about the rarification of photography and the democratization of photography, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, the other question that I had was with Spectacle Box, that's an outlet to like what happened here, how I bought your self-published book, um, getting it to a different audience. But then how do you work with um, having Billy's book available or Jenny Riffle's book available? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Spectacle Box is pretty flexible as a platform. You know, it's like um, some of the books that we publish, but also uh, our friends. Yeah. Uh, and so um, if somebody makes a book I like uh, and they're willing to let me have it at a table and sell some copies, um, I'm really happy to, you know, to be able to have conversations at places like SPE with people who are passionate about photography and, you know, cool photographic books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. That makes sense. Um, and then um, we're going to have to probably wrap, but one of the things that I was curious about um, and it's in the um, full five fathoms, if that's am full, I saying five. It? full fathom five. I knew I was in the right order. Um, the plastic bags. Yeah. So can you just tell me about that? I mean, that again, that's the one that like initially when I sort of conceived of it, it's like, how am I going to depict um, ocean plastics in an interesting way uh, that hasn't necessarily been done before? and you know, I just thought of like the absurdity of all of these, like, thank you for shopping here, corporate slogan-y, like, you know, smiley face bags, like wondering like, who designed this? Is it like, and and then like, how did it like end up getting printed and I can get the same plastic bag and in Mongolia as I can get in New York City and, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, and so I started collecting plastic bags and I, you know, called out on social media, hey guys, if you, have some weird plastic bag I, I want it and i'm gonna go <laughs> um and um and then i started just like going swimming with these bags in an underwater and i kind of 35 millimeter camera and um you know i was thinking about it again as this like photographic object scientific specimen are these plastic bags or are they jellyfish um, um mm -hmm. but you know the, what has been so delightful about that project is is just how beautiful the images have mm. turned out, and I've been surprised by that. How pictorial they are! How you get you know wonderful bouquet of of little like things that are floating around in the ocean in front of me as I get jostled around by by waves photographing these bags. And so um, it started out as like a photographic joke, but then it became more serious as I <laughs> I photographed them. <laughs> Um, and it's, they become like anthropomorphized almost. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, alive in the water. It's fun. Yeah. 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 They really, they really caught my eye. Well, um, I guess one last question is in terms of forming the collectives, is there a way in which you make that happen? I mean, uh, are you, are you seeking it? Are you creating them? It sounds like it's a little bit of each, but it's yeah. impressive. I did look at the, um, the, um, Atlantic. Atlantica. Yeah. Atlantica collective. Um, and it's so diverse. Yeah. I was less involved. I, I was not a founding member of that. I was invited to join that one. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it was it was sort of based on just uh, you know Gabriella and Mark who are sort of the the founding force of that uh, are really good at organizing things and so we had a, a bunch of exhibitions through that collective and um, monthly meetings um, and um, you know, but they were they're sort of you know they're kindred spirits you know they uh, and they they're good at bringing together those kindred spirits and so they um, you know 
Gabriela Slovak. They're currently living in in Poland. They're actually supposed to be doing a um, a Fulbright in Ukraine, but that obviously did not happen. And so, um, aside from their interest in um, in ecological issues, there's also this similar sort of geographic um, interest. I met them when I was living in DC, mm-hmm. um, and um, so yeah, they're just great at finding kindred spirits and organizing um, things. And so I. I feel like I've mostly been along for the ride in that one, whereas, um, you know, that the other, the the um, F four point five collective, um, you know, my uh, it's it's my second cousin who was actually in my first photo class in when I was um, in high school. Wow! Uh, and then um, Adair, it was uh, in my when I did uh, was a student at the School of Museum of Fine Arts there in Boston for a year. Um, Adair was part of my program. And then Adair was good friends with Jenny. And, you know, we were just like going nuts, stuck in apartments during the early days of the pandemic. And so started sharing work with them and it just sort of organically, we like doing this. Let's Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, Mike uh, has been a good friend since I was an undergraduate. Um, and, uh, you know, he's also a prolific bookmaker and, um has a Rizzo printer in, in Brooklyn and so um Spectacle Box just formed out of the fact that we both wanted to create a platform to to get our books out there and that book fairs are a wonderful context to just mm. like actually talk to people as opposed to you know go to a big exhibition and then then I don't know I feel like book fairs that like and, and reading books compared to being in exhibits and, and I love exhibitions don't get me wrong um, but there's a, a different pace of the connection that's that's got that more depth that is re- relates to that pace of of experiencing a book that I think has that potential for depth. Yeah, but thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining our conversation. We so appreciate when you rate, review, and follow our podcast. We love hearing your feedback. I'd like to share a brief recent one we received. Sibylla has a rich knowledge of photography, photographic arts, and photo books. All contribute to her ability to share her knowledge, her exciting discoveries in this field, and to encourage photographers on their own journeys. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining us. Look forward to connecting next time.